This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. On this week's episode, we're talking about an update in the Freddie Gray case, Chelsea Manning, Guantanamo Bay, bad news on gun control, and the first installment, Joey, of emails from a hat. You excited? Emails from a hat. Obviously, he is. Stick around. The Mandatory Samson Podcast. Oh, coming to you live from Stand Up New York Labs in New York City. It's not really live, but I say it anyway. Hello, everyone. My name is Christopher Flenner. I'm joined, as always, by Joseph Anthony Noe III. Hi, Joey. Hi, Chris. Great start, baby. Thank Great you. Start. <laughs> feeling it, bro. Feeling it. Uh, Evan, thank you for producing the show over there. What up? Whew. I'm telling you what, guys, I good energy in the room. I'm in a very good mood. It's warm in the city, so I'm feeling loose. We got a nice show lined up. Um, we're going to have to get serious in a minute, Joey, but I'm in a very good mood, and I feel like you are too. Yes, I am. Um, I'm very excited to do the show. I, we have a You number- want to know why I'm excited? Of course, yeah. Game on. What is that? What? Bernie Sanders and Trump will be debating before June 7th. What are you talking about? You didn't hear about that? No. Joey, breaking news to me right now. What are you talking about? There's going to be a debate uh-huh. between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Are you fucking kidding me? Nope. It's happening. That's official? Yeah, it's as official as two people saying it's going to happen on Twitter. Oh, so not official at all. Don't yeah. get, don't do that. <laughs> I, I was ex- extremely excited. I was going to say that is unprecedented that is insane could you imagine it's it's trending on twitter right now that's never gonna that is there's zero percent chance that shit's gonna happen but okay i wow i just got really excited for a second all right hi everyone welcome to the show we're going to run through a number of topics today including another dismal verdict in the freddie gray case no chelsea manning Mm -hmm. guantanamo bay update a good one pretty good Joe Biden's bad news on gun control, an update on the NFL and paid patriotism, which is something we talked about a number of times in the podcast a while back. Yeah. It's an update there. We're going to get into it. And an interesting 2016 update. Plus, at the end of the show, we're going to do our first installment of email and a hat. Emails from a hat. E- oh, what's it? It's emails from a hat? Yeah, I like that better. All right, emails. I'm going to make a note right now. Emails from a hat. We're going to close the show with that. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. The, we're getting a lot of emails. They take up a lot of time on the show. Not that they're not good emails. They certainly are, and I appreciate the support. But in the interest of time, uh, we're just going to read one email at the end of each episode. We'll, we'll probably have enough to do that every week. Evan has a hat, a NASA hat, which I enjoy. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. Uh, he's going to throw numbers in the hat. Ooh. I've numbered the emails that we got. Okay. And we're going to pick a number out, obviously, and that's the email we're going to read. All the emails that aren't read and all the emails we get the next week and the week after, mm-hmm. they're going into the pile. And nice. then we're just going to, so we'll be picking out of a huge number of, of, of emails, and that's how we're going to do it. I so, like it. Sounds good. Well, it was your idea. Of course you like it. Um, we got an update about Saudi Arabia lawsuits at 9-11. Mm-hmm. But first, I wanted to start with the big news of the week. Obviously, Johnny Depp is getting divorced. 
That's sad. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm just, I just want Amber to be happy. I'm just kidding. I mean, I, I wanted to, you know, everybody that got mad about the Kim Kardashian stuff was just like, come on. Right, so now you're going to upset the fans even more. I'm just, pl- I'm playing with you guys. I'm in a good mood. Uh, no, I'm not going to talk about it. Evan, what? You had something to say about this? I, I thought we were going to talk about it. <laughs> Evan, Evan perked up immediately. No, I, we're not going to get into it. Look, good luck, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I got to tell you this. Johnny Depp, seen him interviewed a few times recently. Mm-hmm. He's getting he's getting weirder and older. Depp. I mean, I'm a big Depp fan, but he's getting odd. He's starting to become those roles. Absolutely, he's well. He's starting to become yeah, like sort of a character of himself, you know, which ends up happening. Okay. Anyway, I, so I, which Johnny Depp did no, she marry? No, 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 no. I'm not. De- <laughs> it's started Scissors as a hands? joke. We're not. We're not doing. <laughs> Come this. on. No. Okay. No. We need to get serious here. Here's okay. why. Because we got. A lot of stuff to get through. I mm-hmm. don't want the episode to be five hours, but I feel like it's going to be probably longer, even though try to make them a little shorter. I was reading an article in The Guardian. It was an op-ed piece uh, by this woman, Donna Marsh O'Connor, and it caught my eye because it was something we talked about last week, and it was like an interesting discussion we had about lawsuits and uh, regarding Saudi Arabia and 9-11. Mm-hmm. Donna Marsh O'Connor, her daughter was killed on 9-11, and she wrote an opinion piece, like I said, in The Guardian last Friday. Um, And I have some of her quotes in the email. We can listen to what her thoughts are about it. Okay. And then I have a couple of questions sort of to just guide the conversation afterward. Donna Marsh O'Connor in The Guardian about the lawsuits in Saudi Arabia. When the Justice Against Sponsors of Terrorism Act, which is JASTA, which is the act that we were talking about, uh, which the Senate passed this week, was first conceived, it was to allow relatives of 9-11 victims to sue Saudi Arabia for damages in U.S. courts to bankrupt, bankrupt terrorism so that any entity that funded my daughter's death would lack the capital to strike again. The bill still needs approval from the House, and the Obama administration has threatened to veto it. They shouldn't. Now, I skipped ahead. I mean, she wrote like a long article. I mm-hmm. skipped ahead a little bit. The attacks also had indirect effects on the finances of an entire generation. This is interesting. This just gets into her, her logic about why she thinks these should happen. On the day my daughter left Earth, she left two brothers and a nation in mourning. A nation tanked emotionally, morally, and financially. That's true. Make no mistake about this. Part of the demise of the economic prosperity that once characterized middle-class America comes from endless war and bottomless greed. Can Mm -hmm. argue with her there. Absolutely right. This lawsuit would give back funds to the victims' families, fiscal autonomy. I want that for my sons. I want them never to worry about their student loans, never to worry that they might want to study something to do some good in the world. Okay, I hear that. And her rationale about the lawsuit is that this is something that we can actually like. It's not a form of justice necessarily. It's not going to bring her daughter back. It's not going to, you know, is Saudi Arabia really going to feel this? But in her mind, this is something that she can get economic justice essentially. And it might also keep Saudi Arabia from funding terrorism as is alleged in these, you know, still missing 28 pages from the report. She fin- uh, For our purposes, she finishes. I believe there will always be money for terrorism when there is a motive. I am under no illusions that this suit would bankrupt anything, but there should be justice meted out in courts and those culpable for the manipulation of lives and deaths ought to pay in every and any way possible. Comfort comes not in empty promises of goods and services, but in the enactment of the American system of jurisprudence, our family members and their murderers should meet in open court. Joey thoughts on this. The thing that was shocking to me. Yeah. About this, when I read it, was the fact that the hijack was wired back all unused money back to Saudi Arabia. 
before they carried out the attacks. Yes. Yeah, what she says in the op-ed, obviously we didn't read the whole uh, the whole thing, but right, but she said one of the most chilling things was that it came out in documents that, right, if they weren't using money on the attack or they knew that they weren't going to be using it anymore because they were going to die, they sent it back. Sent it back. Uh, so they would have it for later attacks or whatever. Which is unbelievable. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not unbelievable, but it's certainly... Uh, you know, it's sinister, right? It's like, that's what they're doing. Like they, yes. they are an organization. And this, I'm glad you brought that part up. Cause I actually have a couple of questions, um, to kind of wrap this conversation up. It's organized. They are a, you know, terrorist and particularly ones that are successful. Like a nine 11 is, you know, argue, not arguably, it's one of the most successful terror operations ever. Of course, there's a high level of planning and there's a high level of sophistication, and that involves penny pinching. I mean, it sounds insane, but it's like that's how a good business or a good run. operation is run. And so that's why they do it. It's not uh, shocking. I mean, you know, but it's 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 how they ran the operation. So, you know, I was going to say it's impressive. It's not impressive, but th- but that level of coordination is stuff that, you know, that is actually the troubling things that we need to pay attention to. Yes. And also, if this actually does not get veto and show some validation that, hey, we're taking as much action as we can economically to prevent that from happening again would help. Yeah, I, I definitely, I don't think it's, it will be vetoed. I doubt mm-hmm. it's going to pass any anything. Um, and I read an article in the in the Post, but I, I, you know, the New York Post, you can't, I can't just go by that. I couldn't find it anywhere else. So I'm putting that caveat out mm-hmm. that I couldn't find another source for it. But in the post, it said that Chuck Schumer added an amendment to the bill that, you know, provides a lot of different like appeals processes and like the secretary of state can veto even lawsuits that do proceed and all this stuff. Okay. So again, I don't trust the New York post on its own, but I'm just putting that out there as an idea. I don't think this is going to, go anywhere. I think it's a big symbolic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just interesting to hear from somebody that actually is obviously personally affected by it and, you know, her thoughts about it. Now, these are my questions and we'll just wrap up with this. Mm-hmm. Terrorism is defined as fourth generation warfare and violent crime. Okay, that's how okay. it's defined. Should we be treating terrorism as a crime rather than an act of war? Is ISIS the mob or is it an army? We tend to look at terrorist groups as something that we need to go after militarily. There's a lot of reading that can be done. Um, and I've read a lot of articles and different things, people's opinions about this, where you should really be treating. And, and the reason why I, th- this came up is because you said, you know, they're sending the money back. They're not trying to waste money. Yeah. That's a, that's a, a mafia type mm-hmm. maneuver. You know, that's a business move. So that's more crime to me. And it's even defined that way. It's defined as violent crime, but it's crime. Nonetheless, Shouldn't we be kind of going after them with police work, with, um, you know, treating it more like a criminal act, criminal actors, as opposed to soldiers or, you know, a country that we could go to war with? I I think that makes more sense strategically, no? Well, to me, it it really shouldn't matter what you call it, a mob or an army, but every every resource that is available should be used. Well, yeah, I mean, I hear, but here's the thing. Is that really true? Should we really be deploying the military into the Middle East to go fight a group, essentially a small business? You know what I mean? Like, that's the thing. It, it, I understand your point that you call it whatever you want. You can call it Muslim extremists. Or you can call mm-hmm. them, you know, whatever, that whole stupid argument. But, but it is orienting in the sense of 
if we're referring to ISIS as an army or, you know, we're at war with ISIS as opposed to this cell, this mob that exists, it, it does orient you whether you're going to attack it criminally or as a military, you know, and I, I think that's an important distinction to make. And I, I'm just wondering what you, your thoughts are. I honestly don't think it makes a difference because when you send in the drone strike to get them, that's a drone strike. But that's an act of war. Yeah. You know, it's it's a quasi act of war. And I mean, you know, that's that's the whole controversy about the whole, dr- you know, the drone thing. It is well, okay. Go ahead. All right. So what it comes down to is if you do send the drone in to kill the mob, right. does Saudi Arabia then say that's an act of war and go to war with us? Well, they don't. Right. right. Well, I'm not even talking about specifically Saudi Arabia, but I'm, I'm just saying like, Sure. I mean, that's that's uh, something that would come out. I don't think we would drone strike somebody in Saudi Arabia. That's the thing. No, I think you can. <laughs> right. But say we were doing it in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. Like, we off the reason why I bring it up is because this woman is bringing up the point of like, you could take their money away, you know, take the stream away so they won't be able to finance the stuff. That's the thing. Like, when we go and blow up ISIS's cash, are we, is that war? Is that a war maneuver? Or is that just, is that how you would go after the mob? cut off their sources of income and literally find out where their and their source of income is a pile of cash over there mm-hmm. and you, you blow it, it up. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, you can read a lot more about that, but to me, I think treating terrorism generally as criminality as opposed to uh, war mm-hmm. or like an act of war, I think is probably a better strategy in the long run because you're going to lose a lot less blood and treasure fighting it that way and also it's following clues it's not it's not destroying everything and we're gonna well carpet bomb oh good tech we'll just destroy <laughs> everything but if you go in there and you're able to kind of interdict their finances and get involved then maybe you can find a pattern and see the patterns of use and things like that it, it, it's it's the, while language doesn't always matter putting it putting the right fr- you know frame on something does kind of affect the way that you go about stopping a potential crime, you know? Yes. And the best way to frame it would be to send in people that are able to detain such individuals and get them to be, I guess, thrown in prison. So that way you don't make them martyrs. Sure. Because if you do drone strike and kill a bunch of them, then you're going to have a whole nother complete generation that hates America and you just keep on providing uh, terrorism to exist. Yeah, you give them ammunition, absolutely, and and rightfully so in a lot of cases. I mean, who's going to argue with the fact of like, I Joey's a terrorist. I blow up his house and I killed his wife, his eight kids, his three cousins, and all the neighbors saw it. Like, of course they're going to be mad about that. It doesn't matter that like Tony Soprano's family is going to be mad if he gets killed. They're going to be upset about it. it does, they don't care that he's a technically a criminal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same same idea. Um, so yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, Joey. But anyway, okay, interesting update about that. Um, I want to move on to this next story, one that we've covered a bunch in the podcast, and I guarantee we will be covering again on this podcast. It's Edward Nero and Freddie Gray. On Monday, Baltimore Circuit Court Judge Barry Williams acquitted Officer Edward Nero of two counts of misconduct in office, reckless endangerment, and second-degree assault in connection with the arrest and death of then-25-year-old Freddie Gray. He is the second of six officers to be tried. Both of them have gotten off so far. This guy was acquitted. And the first one, William Porter, it was a hung jury and they couldn't, um, you know, convict him of anything. They, it was a deadlock. So, uh, 
Caesar Goodson, who is the driver in the Freddie Gray case, mm-hmm. uh, goes on trial next. And from what I've read, a lot of people, um, a lot of cops that have been, have been interviewed, have said that the driver is the one responsible for buckling in the passenger. And now, mm-hmm. just br- to quickly recap, obviously we've talked about it a lot. Freddie Gray was detained for basically no re- I mean no reason the uh, you know the, he made eye contact with the police and then ran and then they chased him down we don't really know what happened before they got him into the van but obviously he was in pain they put him in the back of a police van did not buckle him in his hands were cuffed um and then somehow later he had a broken spine mm-hmm. so that's what happened and so now the, the these two guys have not gotten any kind of punishment and we'll see what happens with the driver. But yeah, they're, they're right now. The blame is being put on the driver that it's his job to buckle, you know, buckle Freddie Gray in that potentially would have prevented this accident from happening. Mm-hmm. Um, good. Well, well, the other thing that the judge did cite is the fact that there was testimony from a police academy trainer who yeah. said Nero did not receive required training on how to put a seatbelt on a detainee. Well. Yeah, I mean, well, like really? Th- well, sure. I mean, that would explain <laughs> explain probably why he didn't do it. I mean, that so right, but so that isn't on him then. Correct. Um because he can't be found guilty of something that nobody in charge told him to do, you know what I mean? But my question is, does this set precedence for the next case? Because to me, it seems like as the two tries are going, they'll seem to be throwing Oscar underneath the bus. Uh, Caesar, yeah. Caesar, excuse me. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think they're setting the state. I mean, look, there, there's probably a 50-50 chance that someone is going to go to jail over this. Mm-hmm. Maybe less than that. It might be 60-40. Nobody's going to go to jail. But I think if somebody is going to be, it's going to be Caesar, you know, the driver, and then potentially, uh, you know, one of the other three officers that are, are still yet to be charged. We'll, we'll find out. But these two seem like the least... Um, I don't want to say guilt. That's not what I mean. Least guilty, but like the least culpable, I guess. Just so far, but just we'll see what happens. Quick question, like not you know, not overanalyzing or just thinking. But if you were to throw somebody into the back of a van and you know six people, wouldn't one of them just strap them in? You would think. Well, part of what the judge said, and it, what's interesting is that um, Edward Nero waived his right to a jury trial, so he got a judge. Mm-hmm. So you actually get a written rationale of why the judge ruled the way he that did he should be acquitted and i actually have a clip of billy murphy who's the lawyer of the mm-hmm. gray family which i found interesting i, I want to play that um in the response the judge said like what what, what was your point i'm sorry but i i lost track of what i was okay, saying what very say? simple there was six people oh, around why wouldn't, somebody why do that? wouldn't just one person hop back he, in, he, in his in his response he was saying that under the circumstances, he could understand. Like he was trying to figure out in this circumstance, would a normal officer have buckled him in? And he found no, probably not. See, I disagree with that because if uh, the primary job of a police officer is to protect and to serve, yeah, they're not protecting him. No, they're not. They're not. But what the judge was saying, and I'm not defending it. I'm just saying what the judge said. I think it's absurd. It's it's going to be highly absurd. Uh, if nobody goes to to jail over this, Freddie Gray is an innocent man that you know wakes up that day and has no idea that he's never gonna fucking go to sleep peacefully. You know, like he's he's dead. He's never gonna go to sleep peacefully that night. It's 
a travesty if nobody get you know it can be can be found guilty on anything here um and it's very telling to the point the judge was saying you know there was a lot of like kind of chaos going on there people were yelling whatever they probably feared for their safety so to throw him in the van and run was probably something that most officers would do he he, he didn't find that particularly malicious behavior Yes, but when an email was sent no more than three days prior to this incident uh-huh. that there was a new direct order saying that the cops are responsible to seep out detainees in, should it not put even more emphasis that the police department knew that this was happening? Probably. I agree with you, yeah. Sent it out, and then there's no accountability. I, I completely hear you. I'm going to read this quote, and then we're going to play the lawyer for Freddie Gray's family. And you'll understand okay. why I brought that. That makes it interesting. David Yaros, who's University of Baltimore law professor, says he was, quote, not shocked by the verdict and that, quote, prosecutors had a very steep hill to climb and, quote, just because it doesn't rise to the level of being criminal doesn't mean that it's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a question of well, did they do this? Is it illegal that they did this? The judge is saying no. Is it not proper protocol? Probably. But does that mean that they did it and they should be in jail because they did that? According to the judge, no. And I want to read, and again, I just said it, I disagree. I think clearly um, somebody needs to be held accountable for this. This is the Gray family attorney, Billy Murphy, after the verdict. The family's reaction is going to be, I predict, uh, the same reaction that they've had to the entire process, and that is justice doesn't have... Uh, guilty beside its name, nor does it have not guilty. It is whatever it is if there is a thoroughly fair process where all of the evidence is considered and the law is fairly applied. And uh, I want to commend Judge Williams uh, for not bowing to pressure uh, and basing his decision on the objective circumstances of this case and a thorough examination of the applicable law. He was outstanding in his erudition today and uh, I'm proud that he's on this bench because judges should have the ability to reject public opinion uh, routinely as the basis for uh, uh, their opinion. And he showed that uh, tremendously today. Uh, He did the public a service by doing something that juries are incapable of doing. He articulated every aspect of this case that he thought was significant and he articulated every instance of his legal reasoning that created the result that we heard today. That is commendable. And hopefully people who are in the mood to protest his decision, who have not yet read his excellent opinion, will do that first. And then make a decision about whether or not they thought the outcome was fair. And I'll make a prediction. If you can read, you'll be satisfied. So that's interesting. Now, that is Freddie Gray's lawyer, like his family's attorney. And he's saying, you know, he's giving the judge a lot of credit. And he's saying that this is probably the proper outcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that interesting. I find that fair. I mean, I find that reasonable that he's not going to, like, go out there and, and pretend that the judge did something completely insane. The, the, the question then becomes, why are the laws... I mean... The, the impulse is to want to protest that and to say that somebody needs to go to prison. I think somebody will or should, right? Somebody's got to be found responsible for this. This mm-hmm. kid shouldn't be dead. But I think the flip side of it, 
if the judge, there's only so much a judge can do. If that's the law, like if that's the letter of the law and he can, and they can present a case that doesn't make you throw this guy in a jail cell for the rest of his life, then it is what it is. Like he has to do that. And so it's interesting that Freddie Gray's lawyer is commending him on, on, you know, being a good judge essentially mm-hmm. and, and reading the case and, and following the facts. So, you know, that to me, that at least, you know, gives you hope that, if something is going to be done, the judge will do the right thing in that case as well, you know? There's two more things that I don't get. Okay. First thing is the fact that the state's attorney, Marilyn Mosby, who brought the charges against Nero and the other officers, didn't even bother showing up to the verdict. Right. Well, what's why? What's the matter? What does that tell you? Well, I mean, it tells you that she didn't... Well, it could tell you a couple of things. It could tell you she didn't think it was going to go her in her favor right mm-hmm. if she brought the charges obviously her favor would be you know this guy actually going to jail because that's why she brought the charges to begin with or it could be as simple as she didn't want to turn it into a more political you know spectacle than it already is kind of so but right but you can read into that either way you want so with the way this case went yeah it, to me it looks like they're setting up two possible four guys yeah. One is the driver. Caesar Goodson. Caesar Goodson. Or the supervising officer who would be do do do. One second. Where did I put it? Oh, Joey, you're doing such a good job. But... I know. It's okay. The other thing that doesn't make sense to me uh-huh. is the fact that they had someone testify under limited uh, immunity, Miller. Yeah. So how can he give testimony but be immune and it can't be used against him? Well, because it's like he, they're allowed, he's one of the other cops. Yes. Because they want him to be able to give testimony as an eyewitness, but they also don't want him to incriminate himself before his own trial. So it's, you know, there's special circumstances. I get that. There's special circumstances. So I don't exactly know what the you know, what the restrictions are there as far as limited immunity is concerned. But I, I understand that it's more valuable to have him get on uh, the stand and actually answer some questions and like be on the record as opposed to him um, not doing it at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I understand why they'd want him there. But anyway, okay. Any other thoughts on this? Yeah, and it's Lieutenant Brian Rice who would be the uh, supervising officer. Right. He And he was one, I think, that we mentioned when this all first started, that he has a bit of a history. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, look, two of six, four more to go. We'll see, you know, what ends up happening here. Um, It's a story we just got to keep our eyes on, something that we've covered pretty much right from the beginning. So, obviously, we'll stay on top of it. Mm -hmm. All right, here's what I want to get into. Chelsea Manning, one of my favorites, somebody Mm -hmm. that put out a lot of documents to WikiLeaks and everything, uh, is formally appealing her, quote, grossly unfair and unprecedented, close quote, 35-year sentence for leaking documents to WikiLeaks. She leaked about 700,000 documents to WikiLeaks. That's a lot. Um, it's a lot. I bring it up all the time. The collateral murder video is something that I think was extremely important for me to form my ideology about foreign policy and American intervention interventionalism and the Middle East and different places. It's a, it's a disturbing video, but I think it's an important one to see and especially important in a democracy where, where we're just going to support these endless wars. Let's know what that actually looks like. And let's not, you know, 
let's not pretend that this is something uh, noble and heroic when it's really kind of a horrific thing that we're doing. Not that the troops themselves are these like barbarians, but in this video, there's a callousness demonstrated that I think is um, tends to come out when you are at endless war and you stop seeing the people that, you know, you, you, there is no exact clear mission. It's just sort of like, these are all bad people. Like we don't need to be, you know, they're it, not it, even humans. Anymore. They don't become exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, I have a quote from the brief in the email and then Nancy Hollander, who's one of Manning's attorneys. I have two quotes here. This is from the brief itself. Manning disclosed the materials because under the circumstances, she thought it was the right thing to do. She believed the public had a right to know about the toll of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the loss of life, and the extent to which the government sought to hide embarrassing information of its wrongdoing. Right. Mm -hmm. Nancy Hollander, who's one of the attorneys, said, a war against whistleblowers is being waged in this country, and this case represents how this country treats anyone who reveals even a single page of classified information. We need brave individuals to hold the government accountable for its actions at home and abroad. And we call upon this court to overturn the dangerous precedent of Chelsea Manning, Chelsea Manning's excessive sentencing. Chelsea Manning was sentenced to 35 years. Mm -hmm. uh, she's hoping to reduce that sentence to tw to 10 years. And then listen to this. This is what's really interesting. It kind of puts it in perspective. The next harshest penalty for a comparable crime, Joey, mm -hmm. is 14 years in Canada. That's the longest you can get for something very similar to what Chelsea Manning did. So 14 years is the longest you can get anywhere else. It's the most amount you can get. 35 years is what Chelsea Manning got. Plus the amount of like degrading, horrible, solitary confinement, um, strip search, sleep deprivation, all this stuff that Chelsea Manning endured prior to even being charged, you know, it's like, that's got to factor in and you know why they're doing it. They're doing it because this person, you know, used their her conscience to try to tell her fellow American citizens the way Snowden did. And any of these people do, um, you know, they're punishing her for that because they don't want that to be the case. Yes. But the major issue with this is the fact that it's military justice. It's not the same thing as a civil court. So she's, Kind of pretty much screwed. Well, we'll see. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think you're right, probably to an extent, but what is she going to do, not appeal it? No, she's going to appeal it, but I don't think... I think it's much harder to navigate the military justice system than it would be otherwise. Yeah, it certainly is. Right. I mean, there's to me, there's question marks about why we even need a military court. Um in general, like what, why, why is the military? Well, because she was a, sh she was a soldier at that current moment when she, yeah, I, I, no, I, oh, I understand why she's, why it's, why it yeah. is in a military, but I'm saying, I don't even know why we need that. It's the same thing as like with terrorism and all this stuff. Like just try to just do us. We have a system. Let's just use that system. Fine. Obviously we're not going to overturn the military tribunals setup, but right. Yeah. It's a much more stringent, uh, difficult process for sure. And also the, the kicker in this one is a, jury of your peers would be other soldiers, which would be the military justice system. Yeah. Well, what's really interesting about it, it's like if you want to get really specific, it's like transgender 25-year-olds who are also in the army that are, you know, document, that are whistleblowers. You know, it's like, she that can't... That would be interesting. Well, right, but she really can't get a, a exactly a, a jury of her peers yes. because it's the same argument. Um, you know, like the jury is not really reflective of the person that's on trial unless they are really from the same place 
and the same upbringing and the same socioeconomic, you know, all yes. the, all these factors. So yes, on the on the basis of like, yeah, we're all humans in America. <laughs> then yes, yeah, it's a trial of my peers, but not really. You know, it, it's it's a very broad brush that yeah, that, good that point. With. So um, yeah, so anyways, that's something I wanted to put out there. I really hope they reduce that amount of time. Again, Chelsea Manning is somebody the same way I feel about Snowden. That person is way more valuable um, to all of us in a democracy as a free person and somebody that can put their thoughts out there and, and be a, um, you know, be a, be a guide for other people that maybe were feeling uh, stuck in their situation and, and knew that they had to do the right thing and chose to do it and chose to do it. Yeah. I mean, that's again, something that we should revere in this country and not something that we should punish or, you know, demonize. All right, let's do one more. Mm-hmm. Then we'll take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about Joe Biden on gun control, the paid patriotism stuff, the 2016 update, and then we're going to close with emails from a hat. Is that correct? Yes, emails from a hat. Yeah, I have a little song you know, that I'm probably going to make up on the spot when we get there. So we'll, 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 you stay tuned for the end of the program for emails from a hat. Guantanamo Bay update, Joe. You ready for this shit? Yep. The Obama administration has deals in place to ship 22 or 23 detainees to about six countries, further reducing the total of 80 men still held there. Uh, there were, uh, I'll save this phrase for a second because it might be the title of the show. 28 of the 80 remaining detainees at Guantanamo Bay are approved for transfer. So 23 of them getting you know, released gets that number down to five people who are cleared for release left. Mm -hmm. The rest of those people, they're not going anywhere. And the Obama administration is working towards quote, an irreducible minimum. How does that even mean? It means they literally cannot get rid of these people. There's nothing we can do with them. We don't have enough evidence to actually try them. Uh huh. We can't release them, though, because we know that they're dangerous. Like, we're pretty sure that they are a problem, but we can't prove that. So they are stuck in this gray area of like, well, you're just here now. (laughs) There's nothing to do with them. Um, Right down to irreducible minimum. I like that potentially as a title. Um, Thoughts on that? I mean, irreducible minimum is so far from the idea of hope and change. It's like, I I was just laughing, like, reading that phrase last night because it's not... um, that's the exact opposite. Man, it's just like such a, well, let's look. It's, a, it's what we can do. Wait, sorry, what, what's it called again? An irreducible minimum. Irreducible minimum. You know the guy Frank Lutz or the guy? Yes, Frank Omar. Lutz from Fox yeah, News or whatever. Sounds yeah. like something he would have come up with. A- absolutely. It's it's uh, it's it's instead of calling it shell-shocked, it's, um, you know, mm-hmm. PTSD. It's like just changing the, not that PTSD isn't a real thing, but, you know, it's like changing the, changing the phrase. Uh, thoughts on this, Joey? Good news, bad news? It's not enough. Well, what do you want? Okay, well, here we go. He wants to close it. Yeah. They're not going to let him close it. Right. So they come down to how many people is it? Five, six? No, 20, right? Well, there's 80 people there. They're Uh trying to get 22 to 23 shipped out. 28 of the 80, which includes that 23 that they're going to get rid of, are cleared for release. Okay. So if they get rid of everybody that's cleared for release, they're left with like 52 people in in the prison. That's a pretty high minimum. Well, it's an irreducible minimum. <laughs> that's it's very like a lawyer talk type of stuff. But th- again, it begs the question: What so do you it can't get small is what it's saying. Irreducible. Yes. They cannot get. Yes, it's the lowest, the lowest amount of people go. they can have there because they don't have enough to actually convict them of anything, and they run the risk of these people actually not getting off because they don't have enough evidence. But they're positive, supposedly, that these people are are dangerous and can't just be left back out into the world now. So, by definition, it would be 
Minimum Guantanamo Bay then? Minimum Guantanamo Bay? Yeah. Well, the pro the, here's the thing. Why not? Again, it's a gray area because they can't try them. So to ship the, a lot of the Republicans are not going to allow people to be shipped into like American prisons, like on <laughs> American soil. But to keep Guantanamo Bay open, I think it's just going to invite God knows the terrifying possibility of a president, Donald Trump of filling the prison back up again. So you're, you're in this really bad situation where you have this house of horrors on fucking Cuba and you, there's nothing you can do about it. I think you, you have to just find whatever way possible to just get them into American prisons. That's it. That that's really the route. I don't think it's going to happen with Obama, but I think that's really the only thing you can do because leaving Guantanamo Bay open is a, is a calling card for terrorists. It's just asking people to, to look at that situation and see how brutal the American regime has been and want to fight against that. And again, it's, it's inviting problems when you have a president Trump in office or whatever, 20 years down the road, another Republican, um, to try to throw people back in there. So you have, you have to find a way to do it, but I think it's going to be the next president's problem. So as you know, Hillary has been, calling on Obama's administration and all of that. So what did she just continue? What do you mean? What has she been calling on him? What do you mean? She, she kind of, from what I understand, she's been trying to say if she gets reelected, it would be an extension oh, of yes, his. Yes, yes. yes, it's Obama's third term, essentially. Yeah, so, yeah. so how would Obama's third term deal with this issue? They're still stuck. Yeah, well, that's the, I mean, right. And that's the bullshit thing about Hillary Clinton that, we've talked about extensively throughout the process. Like we don't really need a third Obama term. We need something more liberal than that. We mm -hmm. need something more progressive than that. Obama did fine. I think Obama's a C B plus president. You know what I mean? It's like he did good. He's there was no, there, to me when Obama's in office, I didn't necessarily feel like we were all going get, to get killed at any moment. There's a lot of things that he did that I wish he had gone harder or farther on. There's a lot of things that he did militarily that I wish he didn't do at all. But that being said, I don't feel like he's, you know, it's not an immediate danger like a Trump would be or fucking Sarah Palin, you know, mm -hmm. scary. Now, to that point, Hillary knows that the general public doesn't look into these things that deeply. They, they look at some of the social stuff that Obama did. They're not really concerned about war or drones or any of this stuff. And she knows that she could just jump on board with that. She was involved in the administration and saying, yeah, I'm just going to continue the Obama legacy and we'll do better. Like that's it. That's all she's got to say. And it's a good move. I don't agree with her and I don't think that's what we necessarily need, but I think people are going to get on board with that. And it's probably smart on her part, particularly through the primary process, because you know, Bernie, Bernie was in the untenable situation of attacking the record of the, last democratic president, the first black president, like a whole generation of people grew up supporting Obama mm -hmm. and voting for him. So Bernie was in the position of being like, not good enough, but that Hillary can just pivot on that and be like, what are you talking about? It's great. And you know, yeah. so that's why you do that. So it's a political calculation. We'll see, but it's going to be her problem. I think. So Guantanamo Bay doesn't close until they all die naturally. Um, if irreducible minimum is the right uh, way to put that, then yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, unless they're going to move them to an American prison or somebody's willing to take them elsewhere or whatever, take them off our hands. Yeah. They're going to be there until they die. See, this is what I would call in the UN. 
uh-huh. and have them do us a favor. Yeah, we don't really want to involve, um, you know, global organizations like that because we're in violation of a lot of the rules of law. Oh, so we get screwed. Yeah, th- yeah, there's just no reason to open Can't up that. that. Ca- nope, this is our problem. We're going <laughs> to have to deal with it in time. So we'll just have to see what happens with Guantanamo Bay. Thank God for foreign soil. Amen, brother. Hey, guys, this is Chris, one of the producers here at Stand Up New York Labs. And I'm telling you to go check out our Instagram page, at Stand Up NY Labs. We're having a great time taking pictures of all the comics that come into the studio, recording podcasts, all the stuff that goes on behind the scenes. You're missing out if you're not following us. You can see pictures of Jared Freed, Mark Norman, Joe List, Kurt Metzger. Who doesn't need more pictures of Kurt Metzger in their life? Go check out our Instagram page, at StandUpNYLabs. You're going to love it. Hey, Joey. Yeah, buddy, what's up? (laughs) You want to talk about Joe Biden's... uh, Bad news on gun control? Why Why is it always bad news? Because You know what, Joe? It's a good news, bad news world, and today we have some bad news stuff. On Tuesday, flying very counter to the claims of NRA psychotic Jennifer Baker, the horrible shill, Vice President Joe Biden... Do you remember Jennifer Baker from last week? I'm not crazy about her. Uh, Vice President Joe Biden admitted defeat on passage of stricter federal gun laws, saying we're probably not going to get much more done in the next nine months. Oh, you crapping me? No. He urged, quote, don't quit on this and touted smart guns as a game changer. Uh, Jerk off Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump was endorsed by the NRA last week just for a point of reference. Thoughts, Joey? Yay, Trump. Joey, how many guns are there in the U.S., do you think? 300 million. We Uh, have a gun for each person. Yeah, okay, very good. You get a gun. You get a gun. You get a gun. Joey, you did your research. I'm very impressed. Um, That's a shit ton of guns. I I really think we should have some initiative to remove maybe about all of them. Yeah, I mean, replace, right? Replace the guns with (laughs) smart guns. That's probably the right way to go. I mean, I think the smart gun thing is something that should definitely stay in the public conscious and and be something consciousness and be something that we, you know, keep talking about. I bring this up because it was not last week we were talking about this fucking Jennifer Baker at the NRA being like, Obama's unstoppable war on guns. Like, he'll stop it. No, they quit. (laughs) Biden's like, we got nine months left. But like, I don't think so. We're done with it. Yeah, we're done. We're not going to get anything done. They're not taking guns away. They're not restricting guns. It's just such a a crazy meme, you know? Maybe they're saying they're done and they're going to sneak it in. Obama? Yeah. Oh, I see what Snick you're saying. Attack. The old end around or whatever you want to yeah, call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gun around? The gun around. The old reach around. Excuse me. It's a little blue. Uh, no, I mean, they're not. And that that's the thing. Like, Really, the reason I bring it up is because there's this whole conspiracy, right-wing conspiracy, that Obama like hates guns and he wants to compensate your Like, No, he's not doing anything. He can't get anything done. He's, he's, he's mentioning it, but nothing's happening. Okay. Could we go down this logical path for a second? I would love to. Okay. Obama takes the guns away. Uh huh. How is that an issue? You can't protect your family. Protect your family from what? Well, okay. Let's assume that Obama can take your guns away. Okay, okay so fine. he's going to take away the which guns. I don't even think is is barely possible. But okay. But all right. Obama takes the yeah. The problem is again. I think the original interpretation is that if the government becomes so big and overbearing, the people have the ability to fight a you know form a militia and mm-hmm. fight a revolution against the government. Um, yeah. And then beyond that being self, uh, sufficient, being able to go hunt, protect your family, different things like that. Sure. 
that that is the concern and to an extent a legitimate concern i mean if you if you're a hunter and you want to kill your own uh food and like only eat stuff that you kill and all that type of stuff yeah then you obviously need a gun I and prote- don't to me protecting your property too i don't have a problem with if, if you come into my house dead i'm pretty sure we don't have 300 million hunters in this country i don't think we do either i think you're absolutely okay. right no i of course well and again 300 million guns doesn't mean we have 300 million people with one gun no, you there's just have, people 10, have the, 10 people with all the guns. Yeah, exactly right. There's 10 people with 30, 30 million guns each. Yeah. Um, no, right. I mean, but yeah, I mean, the, the whole idea that Obama is going to be able to come in and take your gun. Like, first of all, you're not going to be able to fight off the guard. In a situation where the government wants to take over and wants to get your gun, they're going to get it because the military, they have the military. Mm-hmm. And people can pretend all day, and I'm sure there's guaranteed the majority of people in the military wouldn't accept an order to attack their fellow citizens, but I promise you just human nature and the way things work and the way people can, you know, get stuck in a certain ideology. There's a percentage of people in the military that would fire on their own people. Definitely. There is. I'm sorry if that's a controversial thing to say, but I really believe that probably not most, but maybe two out of 10, right? One out of 10. That's plenty. How many people are in the military? A couple million. All you need is 150,000 people. You can definitely, uh, take over the country as the military. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't want to go down that path. No, I don't either. But but you're not going to stop that by having your guns. By the same token, that's not going to happen. They're not going to send them in to take your guns. So you don't really have to worry about it. Not to mention, if you actually think about it, we're talking about <laughs> wait, like, wait, wait, before you go. Yeah. I love when you go, if you actually think about it, that's the big problem in this country. Not a don't. lot of people are actually thinking, thinking about, about it. it. They're just like, nope, that fucking Obama. He's, like, he's not. Think about it. Because really, if the government's biggest concern is taking a handgun away from you, why they have a goddamn tank? Yeah. Well, right, it's of a, course. It's even military-style weapons. It's like, yeah, okay, you might have 10 of those. Yeah, especially when, like, a video came up, like, Gamergate, so I had to bring it up. Oh, son of a Swat bitch. Swat somebody. Yeah. That Swat team is insane. Yeah, well, why don't you, yeah, yeah, swatting someone when you call a Swat team yeah. to somebody's house, right, over video game <laughs> ethics. I um yeah no of course well obviously right we talk we're constantly talking about the militarization of police like what are you gonna do really no you can't yeah if if the government and the military specifically want to come in and take your shit they're going to and they don't even have to they just blow up your fucking house they have missiles oh well right it's it's out of a bygone era that they you know people think they're gonna be able to defend themselves against the military look at the fucking Mahler county refuge the the oregon uh, protesters yeah, the, those guys, they had a lot of guns. What happened? You know, that did not go as bad as it could have went. Absolutely, you're right. So we kind of dodged a bullet on that one. Some of us did. Lavoie Finnegan ate a few and, and unfortunately is dead now. But yeah. That yeah. was his own undoing now. Well, you know, I mean, we don't have to relitigate the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I understand why they shot him, but I also would have completely understood why they didn't have to kill him. You know I mean? Yeah. But okay. We don't have to get into all that. But right. But yes, that easily could have escalated uh, way worse and it didn't. Let's get into NFL paid patriotism update because I'm excited about this one. I saw it and I was like, oh, the Samsonites are going to like this one. It's not enough money. I agree with you. On Thursday, the NFL agreed to pay back. I'm not going to say the amount of money of taxpayer money for inappropriate instances of quote sponsored patriotism i'll say i will say the number obviously but i'm just skipping it for now because you said Mm -hmm. it's not enough and i agree 
Between 2011 and 2014, the Department of Defense spent $5.4 million on NFL patriotism ceremonies. Between 2012 and 2015, $53 million of taxpayer money, of government money, went to 122 pro sports teams. Evan, if you had to guess, $53 million was spent from 2012 to 2015 to 122 sports teams for paid patriotism ceremonies. How much money did the NFL pay back two taxpayers that was heralded as like, oh, this is this is a positive step. Good for them. They're doing the right thing. What amount of money? Uh, can I give a percentage? No, you have no, to give a pick number. No, just pick a, a, oh, you know, a dollar amount. $10 million. Okay. Okay. Joey, do you know the amount? I know the amount. The amount is $723,734. That's the amount of money that they paid back. Seven hundred thousand. Yeah, let's say let's say let's even round it. Let's yeah, give them the benefit of that. Seven fifty. That's what they gave back after fifty million dollars of taxpayer money, at least, was spent honoring quote honoring the troops, which is like the most disrespectful thing you can do, is to be like, oh yeah, yeah, he lost his leg in Iraq. We'll we'll pretend to care about him. Let, let him trot out onto the field. Like get the fuck out of here. I hate that shit. And what kind of a victory is this? This is a victory. Nope. Yeah, no, no way. Um, there's been a lot of talk about, aren't they like uh, NFL sports teams count as nonprofits or something like that? I don't know. That's something I have to look into, but I wouldn't be shocked by that. I mean, yeah. the NFL is like probably one of the most corrupt, you know, organizations in the world for sure. Yeah, no. That and you could quote awesome. me on that. What? <laughs> you want to infiltrate the NFL? Nope. Okay. Um, all right. So anyway, I wanted to bring that up. I think we talked about this on MSP 31. I'm not sure if that's, I know we talked about it on MSP 31, but I'm not sure if that was the first instance or not, but listen, Samsonites, you guys can figure it out. But I think we first talked about it on MSP 31 and it was also like an NJ.com like expose about the jets essentially. Yeah, it was. And yeah, it got yeah. into it, but we, we talked about it a few times, but MSP 31 for sure. If you want to go check it out. Uh, very good. Now, Joey. Yes. I got a 2016 update here. Okay. I think it's a good one. I feel good lately, and here's why. The election is sort of wound down. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there's a little bit of like st stuff going on on the Democratic side of Nevada, which one of the emails we have potentially at the end of the uh, episode is about that from our man, Asar. He's from Sweden. Mm, nice. Um, but okay. It's been pretty quiet, I would say, as far as election stuff is concerned obviously california is coming up june 7th you have a few weeks where there's no primaries right but there would have been republican primaries but donald trump by default wins them yeah and has claimed enough delegates to be considered the official nominee, nominee. yeah well because ted cruz couldn't couldn't seal the deal uh and he blew it and there you go so yeah but anyway but my point being it's nice. You can kind of pay attention to some other stuff that's going on. You kind of clear your head mm -hmm. and just gear up for what is guaranteed to be an embarrassing uh, year or so in American politics with uh, the two most hated candidates of all time going head to head. That's not what's going to happen. I told you, California is going to save the country. I really, really hope so. The DNC, Joey, the Democratic National Committee, is giving Bernie Sanders a larger than usual role in shaping party platform at the convention the 15 member committee will be decided upon now this is the committee that is going to say we're the democrats mm -hmm. this is our platform these are the goals that we're going to try to work towards this is what we stand for so you're telling me that every four years yeah they decide what the platform is a couple months before the grand election 
Well, of course, the campaign shapes that, right? And which yeah. is why Bernie's being included. But yes, I mean, generally, I mean, it's not going to vary that much. We're like, la- you know, yeah, you know, four years ago, we really wanted to like make polar bears the king. But this year, we're just going to talk about, you know, gun reform. It's like, no, it's not going to vary that much. Okay. But okay. The 15 member committee, Hillary gets to pick six. Mm-hmm. Bernie gets to pick five. Ooh. And Democratic National Conv- uh, Committee Chairman Debbie Wasserman Schultz gets four. I hate Debbie Wasserman Schultz. I always have. And I, I'm pretty sure last year she had 15. So this is huge. Well, here's the thing. The 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 establishment still gets two thirds of the committee because Hillary and Debbie Wasserman Schultz are like right up, you know, tied at the hip. Debbie Wasserman Schultz is so in the bag for Hillary. She's terrible. She didn't even want this job. I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, when they were trying to pick who wanted to be the Democratic um you know, chairman, uh-huh. she didn't want it, but they were like, no, 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 you're doing it. And she's a big Hillary person. So, okay, but good. At least they give Bernie a little bit of uh say so on that committee. He is expected to name to uh-huh. the committee representative Keith Ellison, who's a Democrat from Minnesota. He's um, a Muslim leader. Okay. He's progressive. I don't particularly like him because he comes across as ingenuine. He has been on like Bill Maher's program a bunch. I've seen him interviewed him many Mm -hmm. times. He doesn't come off as authentic as Bernie does, but I think he still will champion the right causes essentially, Mm -hmm. but he'll be swayed by public opinion for sure. Is he the one that's pro pro Palestine and that's why everyone's freaking out? James Zogby, who's a DNC member, he's pro Palestine. Oh, he's the one who's pro Palestine. Well, listen, and again, it's like pro Palestine. What does that mean? Does it mean he hates Jews? No, it just means that he thinks that the Palestinians are are getting uh, continually beaten down and really have no prospects, even though, yes, yes, I understand there is a, a terrorist aspect to the tactics of Palestine, but let's get real. We talked about this a billion times. Israel's a superpower that is essentially keeping an entire country of people in bondage, which is wrong and something needs to be done about that. And the only thing that's going to be done about that to make anything really happen is Israel conceding some, some power and conceding some ground. And then if the attacks keep happening, then fine, then you have a legitimate argument. But I I hate that thing where this guy can't, everybody's freaking out because he's pro Palestine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he should be doesn't mean he hates Israel. It just means you can objectively look at the situation and be like, yeah, but look at the size of that guy. Look what it's doing to that person. Like, look at what it's doing to that kid. Yeah, that's what's happening. Yeah, it's kind of so, like David and Goliath. It's worse because David wins eventually. James Zogby is on that list. Environmental activist Bill McKibben is also on there. He's uh, just another, you know, activist type of guy. Mm-hmm. Dr. Cornell West, who, in my opinion, that's the best pick he made. Uh Bernie Sanders, my brother. Uh, that's not a good Cornell. What? Good. It was pretty. He needs to stop with the brother thing, though. I think brother it's, Bernie. I, it's, a little, it's a little too much. Sometimes. It's too much. Brother, sister Hillary. There you go. There you go. That's pretty good. I like. Can you uh, get the audio for that for next week? Yeah, I could probably try to do it right now. Okay. Um, yeah, Cornell West is great. It's cool. I like him. Obviously, he's a social justice type of guy, racial justice. What's he? He's known a for? radical Christian. You know, like he's uh, he's a humanist. This guy. He's been okay. a big Bernie supporter. He's known for a lot of things. I mean, so he's a reference then. No, he's a doctor. He's, oh, he's a doctor. He's okay. written books. He's a professor. He's uh, he is Christian, you know, but mm-hmm. he's well, whatever. I like Cornell West. He's cool, and a Native American activist Deborah Parker, which that's a nice thing I think to include on this. I mean, Bernie certainly hit a lot of um, 
you know, he hit a broad spectrum of people here, which I yes. think is why people like him to begin with. It's like he's not he's not necessarily forcing the diversity on you, but this is a diverse group of people that are that are all sort of geared towards the same uh, ideology, which I think is is interesting. Let's see what can I do here. This is Cornell West on Bernie Sanders and the TPP. Let's just see, let's just see. This is a random clip I'm playing, just so you can hear what Cornell West sounds like, Doctor Cornell West. Oh, come on, this whole intro. Can you believe this, John? Yeah, well, that's what you get for randomly clicking. I know. Here, right, I'll just skip ahead. Republicans tonight that you Oh, that's you, you it. Oh, here we go. Real quickly. You see, it's in deep trouble. In the A new segment. Yeah. Re- new segment. Random click. <laughs> Random clips <laughs> of Cornell West. Representing working and poor people at his best. And yet there's an irony this year. We'll just let, let him talk about When it. you look at the two candidates, or even if you include Martin O'Malley on the Democratic side, three white people. Look who's out front for the Republicans. Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Ben Carson, though he's fading, a black man, two Latinos, as well as, of course, Donald Trump. What does that tell us? Anything at all? Nope. Well, I think I think we know from uh, dear brother Barack Obama. <laughs> so there you go. Well, okay, thank you, Cornell West. I appreciate. It. Okay, so there you go. So you get the idea. But I mean, he's much more animated for the most part. Like <laughs> when he's on a uh, Bill Maher show, or whatever. No, brother Bill. You know, he's very <laughs> like that type of guy. But he's cool. I like Cornell West. All right. So that's that. I also have some Bernie quotes in the email. Bernie has been. Uh, Fighting words, I feel like a little bit lately. Bernie Sanders, the current situation is un the current situation is undemocratic and it is ill-advised. Some four hundred of Hillary Clinton's superdelegates came on board her campaign before anybody else announced. It was anointment, and that is bad for the process. That's what Bernie had to say. He's right. You know what I think I think we should come up with a way that they ha- they have to get all the superdelegates to say that they're actually with Hillary. What do you mean? Before the convention. Yeah. Where they're counting or like like she has so many superdelegates. Right. But I didn't see them superdelegates say, I, I vote for Hillary or I want Hillary. Oh, yeah. But I think there's a mechanism at the convention where they will register as like, I'm a superdelegate for Hillary. Like they throw in their, you know, their so vote. You're, so you're going to see a massive pivot. I don't think so. You're going to see 600 so, people pivot all at the same time. You're so sweet. I, lo- I really do love that you're just like an undying optimist. Um this is another Bernie Sanders quote. Excuse me. Oh, come on. Excuse me. I really uh, like this quote. We need a campaign, an election coming up, which does not have two candidates who are really very, very strongly disliked. I don't want to see the American people voting for the lesser of two evils. I want the American people to be voting for a vision of economic justice, of social justice, of environmental justice, of racial justice. That is the campaign we are running. And that is why we are getting the support we are. ABC host George Stephanopoulos asked Sanders if he would describe Trump and Clinton as the lesser of two evils. Well, if you look, no, I wouldn't describe it, but that's what the American people are saying. If you look at the favorability ratings of Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, both of them have very, very high unfavorables. Yeah, they are yes. the lesser of two evils, Bernie. You know, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's exactly what it you means. Know, so it's like he's, he's picking his words there, but clearly that is the situation that we're in where it's like, can't let that bitch become president. Can't let that fucking asshole become president. And that's the reason why people are voting for the other person. Do you know what it seems to me? Everything he just said about justice and all this. Yeah. It's too expensive. Justice? Mm-hmm. Justice, there is a too high a price on justice. Yes. For sure. Absolutely. In this country, there absolutely is. Economic, like he's, like he's talking about, economic justice, social justice, racial justice. Yeah, the price is simply too high because we don't have a system 
designed to accommodate that. We have to change that stuff. That's the, you're absolutely right, Joey. Great point. A morning consult survey published Tuesday had Hillary Clinton at 38, Donald Trump at 35, and libertarian Gary Johnson at 10. Who the hell is Gary Johnson? <laughs> we're going to get into it with 17% undecided. A mid-March Monmouth poll had Hillary at 42, mm-hmm. Trump at 34, and Gary Johnson at 11. Libertarian convention takes place this weekend in Orlando. It's something we're going to pay attention to and we'll talk about it next week. Johnson will face Austin Peterson and John McAfee. I, I, I brought him up. Yay. Uh, yeah. who, the, McAfee. <laughs> who the prime minister of Belize once called quote, extremely paranoid and bonkers. Uh, those are the three guys that are going to run to get the nomination of the libertarian party. The libertarian party is already established being on the ballot in all 50 states. So he will Can they put up anyone they want? Yes, they they are their own party. They they secured the ballot and the ballot uh-huh. in all the states. So whoever they run, so if they decide to run you, Joey, you'd be on the ballot in 50 states. I think this is the time uh-huh. where somebody goes Oh, they, will, they can only run one candidate, right? Yeah, they're gonna run Gary Johnson. But the point is the Green Party's running. This is what I'm saying. This is what gets interesting. Who is Gary? But it's not a big enough name. Like if they could do like Biden or something. Yeah, but why would Biden run as an independent on the libertarian? He's a Democrat. He's a progressive. He's a social Democrat. You know, it's like, but but I because understand. Hillary can't get the job done. L- let me ask you these questions. I understand what okay, you're saying, but let me ahead. ask you these questions. Who Gary Johnson's a libertarian? Now, if you said who the hell is Gary Johnson? <laughs> yeah. great question. Gary Johnson has been in a few of the debates, not this year, but in pre- previous elections, he's been involved. Mm-hmm. He was the governor of New Mexico. He's a libertarian candidate. And he's been involved in politics for quite a while. He's for the legalization of marijuana. He's an interesting guy. He was just on the Joe Rogan podcast. Go check that out. It's like a two and a half hour conversation with Gary Johnson. I've seen him talk before. I've heard okay. him talk in a number of different places. There's a good introduction to it because Rogan's a, a you know a good interviewer. He leans libertarian in certain cases, and it was an honest uh, conversation. Check it out if you'd like to know more about Gary Johnson. But here's my issue with the whole thing. Uh, let, let me just okay, wrap my point. I don't. I would say that I agree. Like same with Rand Paul. Rand Paul kind of rides the line of being, and Ron Paul certainly was a libertarian. I agree with them probably 35% of the time. I can get on board with some libertarian ideas. I'm not a conservative Republican by any means. I can get on board with certain libertarian ideas. At a certain point, you lose me because I do think the government has an important role and that it's not just going to fuck up and and be a problem. But I can get on board with some libertarian things. So, God, you were going to say something, then I have a question. So, the big deal with Donald Trump and the amazing campaign he's run a lot of it is based on name recognition. So if that's the case... And same can be said about Hillary. Okay. So you have name recognition. So why hasn't the Libertarian Party been more active in trying to get out one said Johnson's name? Well, first of all, because he's not the nominee yet. So they have other candidates. But let's okay. assume Gary Johnson's going to come because it's not that fucking easy. You know how much money it costs to get name recognition? Donald Trump's But you been- have social media and all these tools that Donald Trump had access then to. Then why don't you have name recognition? You have access to those tools. I'm not trying to be like be a dick. I'm really okay. asking, like think about it that way. Like, why does Donald Trump have millions and millions of followers his on Twitter name, and that type of access? His name's on buildings. Yeah, his name's on buildings. He's been in the public, you know, uh, sphere for 30, 40 years. His name is associated he had a TV show. with it. He had a TV show, right? Of course. So that's why. I mean, it's not that easy. If it was that easy, a lot of people would be doing it. And Hillary, she has name recognition because she's been around for fucking forever. Her mm-hmm. husband was the president, Clinton. Like, you know, that's yes. why. 
then now that being said, 10%, 11% in the poll. That's a lot. That's a lot for somebody that you've never heard of. Potentially. Haven't you ever heard of Gary Johnson? No. Okay. I'm sure a lot of people wouldn't. It's the same kind of idea as Jill Stein. Why is that a bad vote? Don't vote for the lesser of two evils. Vote for who you support. My question is who would Gary Johnson, assuming he's going to be the nominee and he's going to be on all 50 ballot, uh, you know, all 50 states mm-hmm. ballots and Jill Stein's going to be about who are they going to steal support from? Are people that don't like Hillary or are disillusioned with Hillary, are they going to vote for Gary Johnson? Or is he going to be pulling from the same portion of people that Trump is trying to get and it's going to turn into a Ross Perot type of situation and Hillary just fucking runs away with the whole thing? That's the interesting thing. I think it would come down to Joe Stein and him pulling more away from Hillary than pulling away from Trump. Well, Jill Stein is certainly going to pull more away from Hillary if if you're going under the assumption that people that like are did Bernie steal support from Hillary and now that Bernie's out, will they refuse to go back to Hillary? Oh, wouldn't that be something? Well, I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case. I think there's a lot of people that weren't going to vote. They love Bernie. Bernie's out. So they weren't going to vote for Hillary anyway. So they'll vote for Jill Stein who's closer to Bernie or they just won't vote. People that already support Hillary are just going to keep supporting Hillary. It's not like Trump is going to steal any Hillary supporters. That's insane. Or Bernie supporters. That's a nonsense thing. That just doesn't make any sense. Gary Johnson is a libertarian. So that would kind of factor into the Republican voter base. Hmm. We'll see. It's an interesting thing. I don't think Trump's going to win the election anyway, but Gary Johnson polling really well and being out there, you know, it is a big deal, especially if you get to a situation where he's polling that high 10, 12, he gets up to like 14%. You got to include that guy in the debate now. He does getting, he would have to be, he would have to be, if he's polling 10%, how are you going to be like, well, now, because they're only polling 30 something percent. You know what I mean? It's like, well, what do you want him to do? And the fact that they're hated that much. Right. It becomes a viable, a legitimately viable third party. Because all those people who hate them have to go someplace. Absolutely. Or just drop out. But the other thing becomes, what if then the Republicans do decide to run a a third party that becomes even a fourth party? Now you're in a situation where you got Hillary, Trump, Gary Johnson, a fourth Republican running, potentially Romney. Like, I I don't think they have enough time. time to set up the ballots, though. Mm, they could they could figure it well because they're the because they just say trump isn't our candidate you know what i mean like there's shit that can be done romney could just become the republican candidate oh, so and trump's at, running you know what i mean it's like there's a lot to be done so you're saying that at the convention even though he is the nominee they just say we're gonna go with somebody else highly unlikely but it's possible there's enough money that could back romney to get him on the ballot they figure it out you know what i mean plus well whatever but anyway but yeah, I, okay. that's just purely spe- speculative but the, again the point being Gary Johnson polling that well is interesting. And look, it's worth listening to what Gary Johnson has to say the same way it's worth listening to Jill Stein and everybody. I don't agree necessarily with Gary Johnson, but it's interesting that there's a third voice out there. That's what we want to see. We want to see four or five viable candidates. See, see, because the other thing too is the way Twitter is set up and Facebook and everything is set up, that could project him in in a month's time to have all eyes on him. Yes, absolutely, because it becomes a novelty thing. Like, there's a lot of people who go, who? Who? Eh, of course, there's going to be a huge percentage of people that are like, I don't, you know, they don't pay attention anyway, so yes, they, they hear a name them. and it just doesn't, it doesn't register. But yeah, for sure, the social media aspect could be a benefit to him, and he's going to have the whole backing of the Libertarian Party. Party, so that's, you know, that's important. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes, but it's, it's something we're going to keep our eye on. 
Definitely. Meanwhile, we're almost done with this update. On Wednesday, the State Department's Inspector General's report found that Hillary Clinton broke government rules by using a private email server without approval. So the keyword was broke, right? Yes. She didn't okay. tell them she was going to do that. So oh. that's that's the first report that came out. So she said, yeah, yeah, they said it was fine. And they're like, she didn't fucking ask us whether she could do that or not. What other people are saying is that the the system in place to even ask to do something like that is mm-hmm. so shitty in the State Department that the record keeping all that stuff, it's not really going to hold up that well. No, because. But, okay, so that's at least a report that comes out. This is the thing that keeps lingering. How much is it going to hurt her? How much are people really paying attention to? I don't know. How much do people that actually support her give a shit? I don't think that there's a huge... There's not a huge uh, crossover between people that were going to support her and now hate her because of the emails and people that were never going to support her and would always hate her about anything she did. Forget the emails, you know? It doesn't matter if she broke the law because unless if they're going to arrest her on it, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it just, it only hurts her in terms of favorability of like she's untrustworthy, but they're both untrustworthy. Nice. Uh, finally, this is an interesting one. President Barack Obama's approval ratings are the highest they've been since his second inauguration. You don't know what you got till it's gone. People are into him again. 88% of Democrats support him. 8% of Republicans. Ridiculous. Hmm. 50% of 50 plus percent of independents, uh, support and approve of president Obama's job right now. Uh, obviously because when you look, it's like, Oh Christ, Hillary and Trump. Do we have a poll that says where most of those independents are going to go? I don't believe there's even a real thing as independence. Again, the, the real independence in this whole thing were people that came out of the woodwork and were going to vote for Bernie. Otherwise, there's no real such thing as an, as an independent. For, for real. I, I just don't believe it. How could you live your life that way? You might not be registered Democrat, Republican, but you're not living your life just like, well, wait and see. Like, you're just an idiot that's an independent. <laughs> you have a feeling one way or another. There's no way to look at the Republican Party, even just on a handful of issues, social, whatever, versus the Democratic Party and be like, I really don't know. Like, that's because you're a dum-dum, but you definitely are going to vote one way or the You're not a real independent. Unless if you have like man's of people cherry picking issues. What do you what do you mean? What does that mean? You know, cherry picking issue. Like maybe they want abortion but don't like the gays or you know. Yeah, but that's the thing. You're not represented that way, and there's always gonna be the one issue that trumps all of them, whether it's your taxes, whether it is whether you are gay and you want to get married, so there's no way you can vote for Trump. You're Mexican, you're not gonna vote for Trump. You know what I mean? There's always gonna be one thing that you're like yeah, I would, but no, I can't because that one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, that's just how it works. The abortion thing is a huge, so that's my point. There's no real, you can pretend to be independent, but you're not really independent because you're obviously going to pick one of the you're two. Gonna, you're leaning away. Yeah. I'm an independent in the sense that I don't, I'm not, I'm liberal, right? Pretty liberal. Mm-hmm. I support a lot of progressive ideas. I can get on board, like I said, with libertarian ideas, certain conservative ideas, but I'm not, I, I don't have a dog in this game. It was burning. He's out. So, now I'm just a, a um, conscientious observer in this whole process. You know what I mean? If you really want to be an independent, vote for a third party. If you're voting for one of the two major parties, you're not an independent. You're just an undecided Democrat or Republican so far, but you're going to vote for one of them. All right. Pretty good discussion, Joey. Any final thoughts on the 2016 update? Anything there? Or should we get to email from a hat? 600 people pivot, bro. Okay. So you're calling it right now. Yes. Bernie will win this thing. Bernie is going to be 
nominated at the convention. I, I really hope so. I refuse to keep arguing with you about it. I, I really hope that yeah, happens. Ca- California is going to speak loud and clear. All right. Well, we'll, ju- we'll just have to see about that. Um, all right, Joe, should we get into email from a hat or should we do our little outro stuff first and then close the show with that? Let's do the outros. Guys, you can go on iTunes. You can rate, subscribe, uh, review this podcast. It helps us move up the charts. We really appreciate your support there. You can also go on soundcloud.com slash mandatory Samson. You can leave a comment on the episode. Me and Joey both respond to those. Me more than Joey, but I try to stay on top of him and let him do that. Um, And by stay on top of him, let him do that. I mean, I literally lay on top of Joey while he response to our comments yeah uh you can also find us on google play for all of our android users i'm an android user joey i love android all right me too uh you guys can find us on there youtube.com slash mandatory samson i put up uh full episodes every week uh right now we're changing certain things over here at stand up new york lab so we don't have a uh our video set up right now but we are going to start doing that right now i'm just putting up the audio only with a graphic on youtube if you guys like to listen on there have at it. You can also email us mandatory Samson at gmail.com on Twitter. I'm at man Samp on Snapchat. I'm at man Samp on Instagram. I'm at man Samp. Joey is Joey from Jersey. Jersey spelled with a Z on Twitter and Snapchat. We love you guys. We really appreciate you listening to the program. And now for the first installment of emails from, from the hat. Woo. Evan's going to come over here with a hat. Evan, did you throw in the, pieces of paper in there we're gonna pick he's nodding yes joey okay now pick it don't say what you picked out okay joey's picking a piece of paper out we had three emails this week that i threw into the hat and that's gonna form the basis of you know the, the rest of this as we go along one two three i numbered them randomly and now joey just picked a number out of the hat joey what number did you pull out four nope <laughs> okay <laughs> it's one it's one it's one Okay, very good. So this is an email from Evan, and this is how we're going to close the show. Hey, Chris, like the podcast so far and love that you're just left of center because I think anyone who's so far off to either political poll is a total idiot. Evan, let me tell you this. You need to keep listening to the podcast because I think I'm way farther left than, than, you're, you, think. Uh, than you think, but I appreciate that. Um, have to disagree with you on the USA chant being semi-white supremacist, though, and let me explain. The chant is simple and three syllables long. It's not anything silly and long like, I believe that we will win. When it's chanted at international sporting events, I feel like it's not so much done out of American pride as it is to troll the opposing fans, especially when it's done as a sport which the U.S. isn't the best at. Examples, hockey and soccer. The fans are basically saying, we want the U.S. to win, but we don't care if we lose because we're still the U.S. The U.S. could be losing 5 nothing in a soccer game, and the USA chant would still be effective. Also, it can be used to make fun of any dumb idea of American origins like fast food, movies, or porn, or whatever. It's such an awesomely versatile chant. So take it easy on the USA chant. Yes, I guess it can be used to taunt non-Americans sometimes, but for the most part, it's just a dumb, fun thing to yell when people are drinking. Evan, thank you, Evan. We appreciate it. Joey, thoughts on this? How much drinking is involved? A lot. I gotta say, I mean, that is usually a factor in the USA chants, I gotta feel like. Um... 
here's my thing about the whole the whole point. And Evan, I think you were the one that brought up the white supremacist angle <laughs> on this whole thing, right? Yeah, that was a buzzword, definitely. <laughs> no, but look, I I agreed with you at the time, and I still agree with you. It, it no, is. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I again, I think in, under circum under certain circumstances, like he's right, and I think he made a good case about the sporting events, how highly versatile it is when it's used. But that, sure, that's exactly the point. And I guess based on certain experiences that are not in a sporting event, like. It is used for the perverse reasons we talked about. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, I mean, we brought I brought up the UFC as an example. Like when there's, mm-hmm. you know, Stipe Miocic is the current heavyweight champion of the UFC. He sounds like he's from wherever. I forget. I think he's, I, I want to say Croatian, but I'm not, whatever. I don't mm-hmm. remember. But he's from Ohio. So it's not, you know, but people might chant USA, USA, like as a taunt against him. But he's American also. So, it, just, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but anyway, so that's. I understand, but I also understand it as just a fun thing to chant. I, I get totally the point about like troll, like we're the U.S. Like it's great. It's the same argument though about the Confederate flag, where a lot of people go, "It's Southern pride." Yeah, but it's also a white supremacist symbol. Well, this is an argument that we've had on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Same kind of idea. I do understand that it is not, in all cases, being used maliciously or as a symbol of white supremacy or whatever. But I don't know. Just like the weird. If it's done tongue in cheek, it's one thing, but it's hard to deci- decipher that from just a chant, like as it being like, oh, they're joking with that chant. It does seem like this weird, like kind of nationalism that I don't know. I just don't get on board with, but you know. Where do you think would be the most inappropriate place to do a USA chant? Probably a the, the death of a foreign leader. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Very good. I think that's how we're going to end the show. Good question, Joey. Uh, Evan, thank you for producing the program, for contributing. Always. Uh, Joey. I love you, buddy. Thank you. I think this was a fun episode. Yes, it was. And you know what? I love the Samsonites, too. We're going to do this email from a hat. I think it's nice. I think it's better. I promise to uh, Asar and David, we have your emails. They're on tap. They're going to be put back into the hat. Everybody else that emails, their shit will be thrown into the hat as well. And we're going to answer questions at the end of the podcast. I think it's a nice way to end it up. You know, one day we might need a really big hat. Like one of those, like you pull the lottery numbers out. Yeah, you know, yeah, Like yeah, those yeah. big cylinders. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, stay tuned for that. We love you guys. This has been another fun episode, and we will most certainly be back for another one next week. We'll talk to you then. This has been a Stand Up Labs production powered by digital media. Subscribe to new and archive episodes wherever you listen to podcasts and find all of our shows at StandUpLabs.nyc. Stand clear of the closing doors, please. No, we out.